The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Good morning, church. My name is Rob, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, let me tell you about my favorite Christmas ever. It was Christmas 1994. And this is a lot to say because there was once where I got to have a white Christmas on a family reunion that California kids don't usually get to have. It was even better than the Christmas in the early 80s when I got the Atari 2600. Amazing. So Christmas 1994 started off and Jana and I flew from LA to San Francisco and we get to San Francisco and I had plotted this with my college roommate beforehand. <clears throat> he actually had my car and I, I got in the car um, after the airport and we drove around and we had actually snuck in, unbeknownst to Jana, a dress for her and I brought this really nice suit and we got to go around to these nice sites um, across San Francisco. We went to the Palace of Fine Arts. Uh, we went to this fancy dinner at Union Square with the huge Christmas tree and then we ended up at the War Memorial Opera House, which is this beautiful building in San Francisco, and went to the Nutcracker Ballet. Now, I'm not really a ballet kind of guy. I mean, I, you know, this is dressing up for me wearing jeans, long pants, right? So, but it was a very special place, a very uh, amazing uh, building that we went to. And on the seats that night, there were flowers on the seats. I mean, there was, it was my smoothest moment, and it's been all downhill ever since. Um, <laughs> After that, we drove across the Golden Gate Bridge and I brought out this toy nutcracker and on the scepter of the nutcracker was the ring. And I think back 16 months before that, pulling into this parking lot in our um, apartments in San Luis Obispo and not thinking and not really realizing in that point not expecting that 16 months later, this surfer girl who pulled into the parking lot with surfboards in her car would be my wife. There are many things that you and I don't expect in life, good things, bad things. Maybe for you that's meeting Prince Charming or meeting Cinderella or struggling and maybe battling with infertility one day. We have good friends long time ago that struggled for 10 years to have kids and finally, through this miracle of in vitro, they had twins. And five months later, when she couldn't lose her pregnancy weight, went back to the doctor and said, hey, guess what? You are pregnant. She was unexpectedly expecting. Maybe today you are struggling with things like loneliness or financial hardship. So the question for us this morning is, what is it that we're supposed to do? when we face the unexpected. Very often we respond by just gritting our teeth, biting our lip and just toughing it out. Sometimes we medicate ourselves with food, alcohol. Maybe we just binge watch and over and over and over again. Maybe we relocate or unfriend people. How is it that God wants us to respond to the unexpected? Because those things, they may help us cope, but it doesn't fix the problem. The answer to the way that we're supposed to respond is actually in the Christmas story. And when I say the Christmas story, I mean the Christmas story, not a Christmas story like with the leg lamp 
or I don't mean the Christmas story with Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm talking about the Christmas story right here in the Bible as recorded by Matthew and Luke. Well, here's what happens in the Christmas story is that there's another woman who's unexpectedly expecting. And this woman, who's most likely actually a teenager at this point, is visited by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel says, Mary, you are going to have a baby. And not just any baby, a special baby. And I'm not talking about the honor roll kind. I'm not talking about the AP student kind. I'm talking about a king. And Mary, not only is your baby going to be a king, he's going to be a king in the line of David's throne, Israel's greatest king ever. And not only, Mary, is he going to be David's successor, but his reign is going to last forever. And by the way, Mary, it's going to be kind of an unconventional birth. It's going to be a virgin birth. So Mary takes this news. She accepts it. And the Christmas story continues. Now, this beautiful bride of mine that I married 26 plus years ago ended up becoming a a nurse. And over half of her career has been in the labor and delivery department. So if you have gone through that, if you know a friend who's gone through that, you might know that when women come to deliver their baby, they might have what's called a birth plan. They have some thoughts and ideas on how they want things to go. What kind of music do they want in the room? Do they want drugs? Do they want their children exposed to drugs? Maybe not. Maybe they want something specific for the husband to do or not to do. So if you think about that birth plan and you go back to Mary, the question is you have to wonder, do you think that Mary had a birth plan? And then you have to say, you know what, I bet if she had a birth plan, it did not go as planned. Because if you went into labor at some point in this room and you had a birth plan, most likely (laughs) things didn't go the way you expected. Uh, I think I'm gonna take that epidural after all. And my husband, who's just about to pass out, he's gonna take an epidural as well, please. Thank you. (laughs) So Mary's birth plan most likely didn't include the following. An eight and a half month pregnant road trip. What is the last thing that you as a woman would like to do if you're pregnant in the heat is go on a road trip, right? Well, because of Caesar Augustus' decree, Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They had no choice. Now, if you look on maps today, you'll find out that it's about a two hour and 45 minute trip in traffic. Well, unfortunately, this 95 mile route today would take, or back then, 2,000 years ago, would take about five to 10 days on foot or donkey or, or chariot. So not what you're hoping to do, eight and a half months pregnant. And sure enough, they get to Bethlehem and what happens? <laughs> Luke 2, 6. While they were there, the time for the baby, the time came for the baby to be born. Mary's midwife wasn't there. Her OBGYN wasn't there. There was no hotels. Airbnb was booked solid. So not only is a road trip, not only are her closest people not there, she has to deliver 
next to animals, next to farm animals. Not a birth plan pretty much I've ever seen or heard about since. And yet, despite all these obstacles, a healthy baby Jesus is born. If you have a Bible with you, would you open up to the book of Luke chapter 2? If you have one of these in the chairs in front of you, we're looking at page 851. And it's at this point where Luke kind of takes a different route. We go to scene two, so to speak. Something else is going on a few miles away. Chapter two, verse eight says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Shepherds, what do shepherds have to do with the story? Shepherds lived a very simple life. And maybe we can romanticize what that life is like. You know what? I'm in the office all day long. I wouldn't mind a career outdoors, kind of like a cowboy and herding those cattle, things like that, cattle drives. Being a shepherd was rough. Long, long hours. They were pretty much ostracized from their community because of the number of hours that they had to spend with their sheep and couldn't have been part of their faith community. They protected sheep. They stayed up all night. They were busy, busy, busy folks. Not to mention the fact that they were living in the Roman Empire. They were living under the cruel, brutal tyranny of King Herod. There was no wine tasting in Temecula. There was no Taco Tuesday, no Promenade Mall, and no days off where they could drive to Mission Beach and hang out with the family. It was a rough, rough life. And we find that these shepherds are minding their own business, working the night shift, probably on their third cup of coffee, maybe talking about the game from the night before. And something unexpected happens. Unexpected guests. And they make history. Verse 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. When you and I think of angels, or at least I do, I think of like these figurines, right? These cute little baby figures, or I think of these long flowing white robes and halos and kids pageants, things like that. But if you look at the verse, the Greek translation uses three words to describe how frightened they were. They feared a tremendous fear. They were scared to death. Instead of thinking about a little figurine, you need to think a shark just swam by your raft. You need to think earthquake, car accident, alien invasion. That's how scared they were. Verse 10, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. The angel's there not to scare them. The angel's not there to get back at them. The angel has a message for them, an unexpected promise that a savior has been born to them. The word Messiah is used. And the Hebrew translation of Messiah essentially is anointed one. And think about the Old Testament. Who is it that is anointed? Kings, as they come into power. 
or anointed. You might recognize the Greek word for Messiah. It is the Christ. And this Messiah had been long awaited for Jews for centuries who since they had lost power, they had lost their land, had been able to return to their land for the most part after their, the diaspora and were waiting there, but living in their home country, they were being ruled by another empire. Imagine living in the place that you love and a foreign power being in charge, telling you what to do. So this Messiah, at that point, the expectation largely amongst the Jewish community was that this Messiah was going to be a political savior. Somebody like King David who would come in wielding his sword, returning power, restoring order to the Jews. This is tremendous. This is huge news for these shepherds, for the nation of Israel. The Messiah has actually been born. So if you think about that incredible news, why would you entrust that to shepherds? If you were gonna plan something like this, wouldn't you hold a press conference, right? Wouldn't you go to foreign dignitaries, make a huge announcement instead of taking it to shepherds? Well, I think the answer for us is a couple chapters later in Luke chapter four. You can read it later on, but we find Jesus here as an adult, probably early 30s, and he's announcing his reign. He's announcing the beginning of his ministry where after reading Old Testament prophecy about the blind being able to see and the oppressed and the captive being set free, Jesus says, hey, I have good news for you. For the poor, the immigrants, the voiceless. And you'd probably have to include in that list shepherds. Of the four biographies, the four gospels of Jesus, I like to think of Luke as the gospel for the underdog. So many stories in the book of Luke are highlight, or highlight people that in no way would ever be considered. People that don't matter. People on the fringes people living unspectacular lives, just like the shepherds. People that would never be invited to a royal ball. These people, these shepherds, became the first to hear the news that a savior is born. It was an unexpected promise that brought hope, even for the underdog. So this morning I wanna ask you, do you feel in some ways like a shepherd. Not that you work outside full time. When I was driving yesterday out by the Trader Joe's, there was actually like a couple hundred goats out there. That was kind of cool. But if I was a shepherd over there, you know, I got to take a break. I could go to In-N-Out for lunch or whatever, right? This is not their case. Do you feel like a shepherd where you're at this point in your life and you've expected more? What is happening? Maybe you feel anonymous insignificant, that if I was gone tomorrow, tomorrow, nobody would notice. Maybe you're poor, maybe you're struggling financially, or maybe quite the opposite. Maybe you are killing it financially, but you feel totally empty. My cousin was here last week visiting from out of town. 
came to worship last week and he worked for a while with some clientele, many of whom had a ridiculous amount of money. And as a Christian, he had the opportunity so many times to offer the hope of Jesus Christ because so many of these people who had everything that the world offers were miserable. Maybe you feel like a shepherd this morning because you're too critical of yourself and you keep messing up. Or maybe you're doing everything right, but you're still empty. And you sit here this morning and you didn't expect to be where you're at. Let me explain what's going on. It's called the human condition. Because when God created the world, he created man, Adam, Eve. And once Adam and Eve sinned, it began to change the way the world spun. Last week I did some laundry, didn't realize, but after putting the stuff in the dryer and pulling out, I had washed a pen. So those brand new pants that I was wearing, yeah, I can still wear it with ink stains all over it, but they're not gonna function the way that they're supposed to, right? This world doesn't operate the way it's supposed to because of sin in this world. So you have CEOs that drive their companies in the ground and then retire with a golden handshake and millions of dollars. You have foreign dictators that go around and assassinate thousands of people and aren't kept accountable for it. You have an awful disease that changes the lives of almost everyone on planet Earth, even though we didn't expect it. That's sin. But it's not just the sin in the world. You and I have to own it too. The things that we have done or things that we didn't do that we should have done. Ephesians chapter two, verse 12 says, you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Because of sin, it caused a rift in a relationship with God. This covenant relationship that we had with God is now broken. Not because of God, but because of us. And think about somebody in your life with whom you have a broken relationship now. Friend, family member. Somebody that at one point you were very close to, that person meant so much to you, brought so much to your life, and now you're separated. The heartache that it has caused you. And imagine what that restoration would feel like. Ephesians 2.1 tells us, once you were dead because of your many sins. The result of our sin is us essentially walking dead. We may be walking around now, but time's ticking. It has caused spiritual death. But I have good news for you. Today, in the city of David, a savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This is the gospel. The word gospel is a translation from a Greek word, which means good news. It is the good news. And this isn't just good news for shepherds 2,000 years ago in one small part of the world who maybe were hoping for a government overthrow and just a better quality of life. 
This is hope for us. This is hope for everybody around the world. This baby, Jesus, lived and died and gave dignity to people that didn't have it and looked at people in the face that were otherwise kicked aside and told them that they were loved, that they were seen, and they had hope. He went to the cross, undeserving, but through his death and resurrection, gave us life and paid that penalty for our sin. So imagine that broken relationship with you have, that you have with that one person. Imagine what the restoration of that relationship would be like. And now imagine what a restored relationship with your creator would bring to your life. Your creator who's not distant, but your creator who loves you and pursues you and wants to reconcile with you. So we return to the story of these shepherds and they are listening to one angel and all of a sudden we find out that this army of angels appear. I would have loved to have seen that. Not just, you know, the angels, hundreds of them, thousands of them, but again, the reaction to the shepherds that were scared to death from one angel. And the shepherds shout praises, talking about the Son of God being born. And when they return to heaven, the shepherds, there's only one thing that they can do. They go to the manger. They sprint, they run. The same is here for us this morning. We gotta do like the shepherds do. When the unexpected happens in your life, you need to go to the manger. Jesus tells us in Matthew, come all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Infertility, financial struggles, addiction, loneliness, mental health. And I would love to say that in 15 minutes, all of your problems are gonna go away. But I'd be selling you something if I said that. Think about the shepherds themselves. What happened a week later? We know for sure that they told everybody about this amazing experience that they had, but guess what, a week later, they went back to the fields, working late at night, long hours, separated from their community, still in the Roman Empire. And Jesus, 30 years later, when he announced his ministry would bring amazing stories, would heal people. But most likely because of life expectancy, these shepherds, I'm guessing they probably weren't alive at that point. So what's the point? What did they have? They had hope. Because Jesus came to do something more than overthrow a political group to bring a better quality of life to one small group of people. He had a greater plan. It was to bring reconciliation and forgiveness and eternity with God. Something for them and something for us 2,000 years later. And even though Jesus has lived, he died, he rose again and ascended to heaven, 
you and I have incredible hope. Yet we are still living in this sinful world. And it's Christmas time again. And I don't know if you're like me, but Christmas is just one of those times, a season and a year that I can go back and remember the last Christmas and the last Christmas and the last one and look at pictures too and remember what God has done through our lives and what life was like and how many you know, moves ago the Fraser family went. <laughs> Where were we living at that point? And Christmas might bring this unexpected emotion. You have a heightened sense of those filled relationships or those broken relationships. And it causes many of us to look for answers this time of year. Oh, and our society has plenty of answers to define what Christmas is. Our society has manufactured some fantastic definitions of what Christmas is. Christmas is red coffee cups. Christmas is time with family. Christmas is triple the number of cardboard boxes on your front porch. Christmas is holiday. Holiday. You mean like 4th of July? Christmas is light and peace and hope that's often marketed. Well, what does that mean? Like a light bulb? Is that what you're talking about? Christmas is when, if you're old like me, your friends send you still Christmas cards and they brag about how amazing their year was. All their children are now at Ivy League schools on full scholarships and you're just happy because you put clothes on today and kind of brushed your hair. (laughs) Christmas is inflatables on your street and decorations. Christmas is a honey-baked ham and way too many cookies with icing on them. Christmas is Buddy the Elf, George Bailey, the Grinch, John McClane, or one of the new 637 romantic Christmas movies where the guy wears flannel and comes back to the hometown in the same plot. (laughs) Christmas is five basketball games on Christmas Day. Or maybe Christmas is that one time of year that your spouse agrees to go with you to that church where you hear about that God who clearly doesn't care because your life is the same as it was last year. We can take any number of those boxes that I listed or more and select three, four, five, six of those meanings and we can ourselves define, ah, yes, that's what Christmas is all about. No. Christmas is about an unexpected promise. And I say that as a guy who loves those Christmas movies, not the flannel guy romantic ones, right? But our family loves to make cinnamon rolls and We love those boxes on the porch, especially if they're addressed to me, right? Um, And I love the contents of the red cups and I love to go to the Nutcracker. And since we went on December 26, 1994, we have returned twice since that point. It helped that in those years we lived in the Barrio, so it was a pretty short drive. On our 20th anniversary of that night, 
December 26, 2014, we got to go with my sister and her husband and our three kids. It was amazing to look at the 20 years that had passed and to see how God had been there for us. And there's a couple pictures coming up that we went three years after that. Same place, War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco. And that, my friends, was the worst Christmas. One of the kids is not in those pictures. He was so sick. He was so sick that he couldn't even be with us. And we had to go get a tree and we had to decorate and put up the inflatables. We had to buy gifts. I had to preach on Christmas Eve. And a house with an empty room. He was so sick. It was the worst Christmas ever. And our society has skewed what Christmas means. It's about an unexpected promise that a baby wrapped in cloths is lying in a manger, the Savior. And in 2017, that's all we had. So today, is that promise unexpected to you that a Savior has been born? If that's the case, go to the manger. Or maybe you've known that promise for a long time. You have held on to that promise, but it's gotten diluted in the last few years because the unexpected has happened and the shine has worn off. The stuff has meant more, the tree, the lights, the chaos. If that's you, you gotta go to the manger. Let me tell you what, it's better than somebody cooking your Christmas meal because you're just gonna be hungry the next morning anyways. It's better than somebody even cleaning those dishes from the Christmas meal because you're just gonna make more dishes the next day too. It's better than paying off your mortgage because if you're like me, you're gonna find debt in other ways. It's better than getting a hit today because you're gonna need one tomorrow. It's better than a funny movie because laughter isn't a cure. It's better than holiday travel because you have to deal with jam-packed freeways and TSA lines, oh goodness. It's better than fruitcake because fruitcake is disgusting. <laughs> it's better than those boxes on your porch because most likely you're gonna open it, use it once, it's gonna break, the warranty won't matter, and you're gonna go into debt. And it's better than those red coffee cups because just as you finish that drink, the sentiments around that cup printed on will be just like that beverage, empty. This morning, God sees you in your broken mansion. This morning, God sees you in your apartment. This morning, God sees you in the hospital room. This morning, God sees you sleeping in that bed 
with the person next to you no longer there. God sees you at the busy airport. God sees you on that gridlocked freeway, in the crowded supermarket, with a laptop on your lap on your couch, online surfing and buying stuff. God sees you at the supermarket. God sees you binging on your television. And God even sees you at your local church, even if somebody dragged you here. Go to the manger. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and there's a few ways that we can respond this morning to God's word. We have communion tables in the front and in the back where we can remember the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. We have people in the back this morning also that if you're facing the unexpected, they would love to pray with you. And we're gonna respond also right now in prayer and in song. So I'm gonna invite you right now, if you would close your eyes. It might even help if you like visualize yourself at the manger. Just see yourself kneeling. And the promise that the Savior is here. It's accompanied by other promises. And I want you to cling to them this morning. James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Jeremiah 33, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you remarkable secrets you don't know. Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke 1, the word of God will never fail. Isaiah 40, God gives strength to the weary. Ephesians 1, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Psalm 68, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord, rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Your savior awaits with open arms this morning. Unto us, a child is born. Go to the manger. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.